Mr. Long, are you are you recording too? Okay. What an amazing sangha. Good morning, everyone. That was a question that uh, typically we do ask people when we meet them, but um, we've gone all this time really not knowing what one another does for a living or making money, which is um, it's quite a feat that we were able to, to go this long without knowing that. So now we know it and maybe that will provide um, other opportunities for us to connect with one another based on our career interests and um, our life experience. So today's topic is um, the prosperity gospel. Or maybe we should call it Buddhism and the way of wealth. Believe it or not, we're still talking about the precepts. And the precept that has arisen in connection with a discussion that Joe and I had a while ago about the love of money. And that led me to considering how that attachment to money, which we don't often talk about in Buddhist practice, um, how, how that connected with the precepts. And it connects in many, many ways. But the one that came up for me at the time was the last precept, which is the precept of not abusing the three treasures not abusing the teachings. The precept in the affirmative is respecting and honoring the three treasures. Honoring the Buddha, transmitting the Dharma, and nurturing the Sangha. And what seems to have happened as Buddhist practice entered the Western world, and in particular in this country, is that precept has been um, engaged, let's, let's, say, let's say it that way. That on some level, the cultural influences of this country, particularly as it is a capitalist country, capitalist being our economic system, which has really penetrating every, penetrated every aspect of life, has really transformed the honoring of the Buddha into a kind of self-centered preoccupation transmitting the teachings into reducing the teachings to some sort of technique or strategy or therapy 
And nurturing the Sangha becomes some sort of competition between achievements, spiritual achievements, becoming ordained, sitting so many retreats, uh, being able to sit longer than anybody else, <laughs> read more texts than anyone else. So there's a kind of competitive aspect um, to, to the Sangha. Not of course, Oan. Oan is very different from that. And we, we cultivate, we cultivate that nourishment, that non-competitive quality. So, what we see as Buddhism has arrived in this country is that the, the framework within which we live our everyday life has, has been transferred into our practice. And so typically in our lives, in this culture, we live by setting up goals, goals for ourselves. We want to have a beautiful house. We want to have a great job. We want to uh, have a certain um, uh, ability to travel wherever we want. So we, we set these things up as goals. And then we dedicate our lives to achieving those goals. Uh, and, and those goals typically are presented to us by our culture. They're not ones that naturally occur for us. We want to live a certain kind of life and we work hard in order to achieve those goals. We then, that, that is very deep within us. And we take that framework with us into our practice, that we have a goal in our practice. Our goal, you know, I could ask any one of you what, what your goal is. And I suspect that you would have something to say. I want peace of mind. I want a sense of liberation. I want to be stress-free. I want to have a life where I can be um, um, uh, accepting, uh, less conflict. Um, I want enlightenment. I want awakening. I want complete realization. That's my goal. And my practice is to achieve that goal. In our lineage, in Oan lineage, as soon as we set up that kind of goal, we immediately distance ourselves from it. We create a space. We create a space between where we are and where we'd like to be. And that, that condition is actually motivating our practice by dissatisfaction. If you're setting up a goal, you are presumptively, you're presupposing that 
where, where you are is not good enough. <laughs> that there is something that you need to reach, you need to get to. And so much as our consumer culture is based on dissatisfaction, only if, if you buy the jeans with the, with, with the designer label, then you'll be popular. Uh, if, you, if you drive this kind of car, then you'll, be, uh, you'll, you'll achieve status. Uh, so it's, it's all about somehow being dissatisfied. We call it dukkha, suffering. Dissatisfied with where you are. And then you have a goal, which you are aspiring to. So it's not particularly a life of suffering because we can't achieve our goals. It's not that our goals are impossible to achieve. It's that we are driven by dissatisfaction. (laughs) And we practice, if you have a goal and here here you are, and here's your goal, every step of the way is driven by dissatisfaction until you reach there. Because any one of these stages is not good enough until it gets you there. So in a sense, our lives have a kind of meaninglessness until we achieve something beyond us. All those steps in the process are themselves not significant because they're just means to an end. I was thinking the other day because I'm planting some seeds that when I, when I look at a seed I really don't see the seed in itself. I see the plant <laughs> that I'm, I'm looking forward to. The seed itself is not significant. It's only as the seed becomes a broccoli plant that it's meaningful to me. This is so much of the way we live our lives that it's driven by dissatisfaction. And we practice that. We practice it and we get good at it. We get good at being dissatisfied, but it doesn't bring us peace of mind. It doesn't bring us liberation. It doesn't bring us full realization. And this, um, we see this framework, this this approach to life, very dramatically in this prosperity gospel, in which apparently, I mean, not too familiar with it, but it's pretty popular in Christian, I think, like three out of five Christian churches in the country are about prosperity gospel, where you kind of, God wants you to be rich. God wants you to be rich. And, and 
he's he's ready. God is ready to to bless you with incredible abundance, whatever you want, as long as you contribute $12,000 a year to the church, right? Um, it's a deal. It's a deal you make with God. This is like, this is the mindset of the, of the uh, capitalist is we're gonna make a deal and I'll give you X number of dollars and you give me a lot more in, in, in terms of satisfying my greatest desires. And people are absolutely willing to make this deal. It's a tremendously popular um, uh, approach to Christian life. And of course it comes from greed. <laughs> you know, I want my business to be you know, uh, on the top Forbes 500. And okay, yeah, God will do that for you. Um, just, you know, it's, you don't get it for nothing, much as in capitalism, you know, you gotta pay your dues and then you get this great abundance. And in our practice, sometimes it's, well, if I really try hard, if I sit every day for half an hour, if I read the Genjo Koan and study it for 10 years, then I will achieve enlightenment. It's that same kind of making a deal with yourself. If I do X, Y, and Z, I'll achieve this. I'll achieve this great, bliss, this great um, um, uh, special state of mind, I will achieve the enlightenment. It's always, it's always out there. And of course, as, is, as a Dharma teacher, I'm often asked by students, I don't seem to be making any progress. <laughs> I'm sitting and sitting and sitting and I may, I'm not, I just don't see any progress. That's a mercantile mentality. <laughs> that, that's a capitalist mentality. It's merchant's mind because you have a goal and you're only thinking about progress is only significant. It only really even arises when you have a goal <laughs> and then you have a goal and then you see, are I making progress toward that goal? But if you don't have a goal, progress isn't, isn't relevant, right? What, what is there to progress? There's, so sometimes we are blessed with awakening to this fact that there is no goal here. And, and we discover, we, we may approach our practice as a merchant with merchant's mind. If I do X, I'll get, I'll get all this great enlightenment stuff. 
or even better, maybe I can get it for nothing. That's, that's true capitalism. You know, I, I, I don't have to do anything, but it'll just come to me. It's, it's the thief. It's, it's not a merchant mind. It's the thief mind. <laughs> you know, I just, I'll get it somehow without having to do anything, but take it from my teacher <laughs> or take it from a book or just, you know, recite, recite it um, and puppet it from other people who seem to be uh, enlightened. But we may find that when we approach our practice sort of in a, a, the mode of a thief or a merchant, we enter a house and we think we're going to get something. We're going to steal something. We're going to gain something. We're going to gain something that we don't already have. And what do we discover if we're lucky is that there's nothing in the house. There's nothing to steal. There is no need to escape. There's nobody chasing us. There's no crime we're gonna be charged with. That we've tried to get something and the whole thing is a flop. There's nothing there. And why is there nothing there? It's because we already have everything we need. And so there's nothing to gain. Sometimes, instead of recognizing this, we start searching for other houses to rob, you know, richer, you know, other spiritual paths like prosperity gospel, where we can actually gain something without any effort. So our practice is goalless. We do have way-seeking mind. Each of us here is on a journey. We, are, we have a direction. We have a way, but we don't have a goal. We don't have a merchant's mind of making a deal with ourselves or with our teacher or with the Buddha or with some God. You know, if we do X, we'll get that. So our practice is not thief's mind, not merchant's mind, but a mind with a direction, a way. And we have no idea where that is leading, but we trust each moment. We can see the seed as a seed. 
we can see the sprout as a sprout <laughs> occupying its own perfection instead of when will it become a carrot? <laughs> instead of seeing it as a goal, as, as you know, a, the story about this little boy who was so uh, impatient about reaching the goal of having planted a carrot seed. He was so impatient about reaching the goal that he pulled up all the carrot, all the, all the the baby carrots to see how much progress they were making. That's kind of what we do in, in thinking that we live in terms of some future thing that we don't have, some future state, some future, and we pull up all the moments of our lives as if they're meaningless. You know, am I making any progress? Well, you just killed the moment. <laughs> you just killed the carrot. <laughs> you know? I mean, just even in, isn't it the case, I uh, forget the um, quote from the Bible uh, about, um, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than it is for a rich man to enter heaven, something like that. Yeah, we don't, we don't go for, we, we regard just enough as poverty. <laughs> we, do, we don't tolerate poverty in, in our culture. It's, it's about God wants you to be rich. And, and we definitely buy into, buy into that. We make that deal. I think also in, in, uh, also in, in Christian tradition, um, Jesus um, uh, ordered all the merchants and all the mer merchants out of the temple, right? He, 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 he ordered them all out. He wanted that temple empty. Okay. So this is our practice. Another teacher who I admire a great deal, um, Shohaku Okamura, speak, and also uh, his teacher, Uchiyama Roshi, speaks about our practice as good for nothing. This is good for nothing practice. And he also says that we have to hear that so many times that we get calluses in our ears. <laughs> this is a good for nothing practice. It's not a means to some end. It's an expression of where we are. It doesn't have a goal. There's no progress. There couldn't be any progress because we're already there. 
we need to express it. We need to find it, to be it, to be it. And there's no progress in that. There's just being. So when our lineage holder, Kobenchino Roshi, and I told this story about his, his um, expertise at archery, and he was asked to um, join a master archer in hitting a bullseye, which was at a great distance um, on, the, on the coast of the, of the Pacific. Um, and the first master pulled his bow and hit that bullseye, which was almost a half a mile away. Um, probably not that that far, but far enough so that it would have been a tremendous achievement for him to hit the bullseye. And then Coben took his arrow and it went over the target into the Pacific Ocean. And he, he shouted, bullseye. For Coben, it wasn't about hitting the target. It wasn't about a goal. It's every moment that the arrow is traveling <laughs> is perfect. And wherever it landed, even in the Pacific Ocean, it was a bullseye because that's where it landed. So this sense that we're struggling to hit a target creates tremendous suffering because we're always in a mode of dissatisfaction and always wanting to register our progress. So, bullseye, each moment, that's it, you've reached it, you're there, you're there, and we're here, thank you.